So you're going to pay me? To do absolutely nothing, yeah. Except you'll have to invent a few leads from time to time, you know, make it look like you're making progress. Mm. But I'm not. None whatsoever, because they're all going to turn out to be dead ends, aren't they, Lenny? Yeah? <laughs> Rick might very well be dead, you know. In which case, you just made a very funny joke. This was a mistake. No, it's fine. OK, OK, I'll do it. Good, good. But you might want to invent a name so they can't tie to Rick, yeah? Right. Like what? I don't know. Use your imagination. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Welcome to episode 197 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Cornish Street Catcher podcast that, like Leanne, remembers all too well that Joseph's coat was red and yellow and green and brown and scarlet and black and ochre and peach and ruby and olive and violet and fawn and lilac and gold and chocolate and mauve and crimson and cream and silver and rose and azure and lemon and russet and grey and purple and white and pink and orange and blue. I'm Gavin. And I am the queen of the tickle monsters. We're going to see the Batman again? You were doing an Imran impression, weren't you? <laughs> Kinda. Yes, because Imran is the king and I'm the queen. I'm sure I got a couple of those mixed up in my colours. Oh. Oh well. I don't think anyone Maybe cares. Maybe an eagle-eared listener will be able to put think, me right. I don't think anyone cares whatsoever. <laughs> Did your mum do the tickle monster when you were little? Did your mum chase you around the house and say, ooh, I'm the tickle monster, I'm going to get you? No. See, my mum did. That's why I liked the my, fact that Imran was a tickle monster. Pointed out when I was five years old how I smelt my last name wrong. <laughs> it's two O's <laughs> My granddad tickled me. But was he the tickle monster? He wasn't the tickle monster, though. No. I think that it was... Why in... aren't dogs tickly? Because they're hairy and it's hard to get to their skin. I think they may be tickly, we just don't know. I think sometimes... It was bothering me through the week when I was trying to tickle the dog and the dog was just, <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? Cats, I think, are are tickly. Like... They'll scratch you, though. Like when uh, like when you you scratch baby cat's butt really hard and she freaks out and starts licking herself and has this weird, like, robotic twitch to her head and it's like she's malfunctioning. It's hilarious. Domo arigato, baby roboto. Yeah. As it is, it's just so hard for her to jump up on my lap. Sometimes I torture her by crossing my legs. Is <laughs> so she fat? She you bet your hat. <laughs> Poor baby cat. How did we get the baby Visa cat Tumba. from Tickle Monster? Tickly dogs. I think it was via Tickly dogs. I don't think we got uh, closure on that, but never mind. That's anyway, you were talking about your mother tickling you or something. Oh, no, the Tickle Monster. Being chased by the Tickle Monster. I think since I was a child, somebody decided to cash in on this and, and make a Tickle Monster book. And I think that may have been why... Tickle Monster is so much more widespread than it was when I was a child. Do Tickle Monster pee themselves? I don't think so. So that's a the specific to Imran one then. Yeah, the Tickle Monster yeah, is the one who is doing the tickling, so they make you pee yourself. Oh. Although they don't, because my mother never said I'm going to tickle you until you pee yourself. It was never part of the Tickle Monster in my house. Well, this is super. <laughs> How are you this week? Eh, I'm alright. And uh, 
our major cookie one of we have two major cookie booths every year we have the tony m's one right outside the gm plant and we have the one at our work and we canceled the tony m's one this year because council was dragging their feet on approving it and then we had the jackson one yesterday Stelly was an hour late for it because she also had a music festival because of course once we schedule something it inevitably turns up that the kids have something else mm. on that day as well that is scheduled later, but that they absolutely have to attend. So I was driving all over the place, acting like a crazy person. You do those things separately as well, though. <laughs> Sometimes, but it's just like <laughs> things are so quiet. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, there's a day where there's multiple things to do and then it's quiet again. Scheduled our, our, our wee trip for spring break. Unfortunately, you can't come with us because yeah. you're, ni- you're nice to your coworker, <laughs> Who has a very justifiable reason for traveling on spring break. Yeah. So. That's so why I, it's not a big deal. Yeah. So I don't begrudge her. That's fine. Two bit. Yeah. Kids and I are going to Wisconsin to a water park. I'm going to drive through the UP. Which isn't a me thing anyway. Well, this is the thing. You go to the water park. The kids are 13 and 15 now. You send them off to the water park and then you have the room to yourself where you could just relax and read books and watch movies and have a peaceful, relaxing time where you're not surrounded by things that remind you that you have chores to do. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, well. Oh, well. And, you know, the kids haven't been to Wisconsin yet, even though it's a state right next to us. And Benny hasn't been to the UP, so... The last person in this house to go to the Upper Peninsula will go to the Upper Peninsula in a few weeks' time. And then we'll wonder, why did they bother? <laughs> I've seen trees before. It's beautiful up there. And also, smoke trout. There is, it's the Upper Peninsula's version of Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> Smoked fish on every corner. Anyway, shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that smoky Cody news. I'm glad you went smoky. I'm also fine. I'm glad you went smoky and not fishy. I was going right. to ask you. Oh, we've got so much to get through and we're... That's true. And, and I feel like we've burned quite a lot of our preamble with <laughs> Tickle Monster. And our related. animals ticklish. Right. <laughs> yeah. I bet we get some emails about that. Somebody sends us... John Giovinacci is going to send us a, an article from some scientific... I hope he does. <laughs> I need an answer. And we're talking about it again. Come on. <clears throat> you don't get... Ticklish dogs and any other Cory podcast, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Coronation Street continues its attempt to appeal to a younger audience by bringing another youngster back from from the depths of Cory characters that have been on and have left and can now come back. It's Sean Son Dylan! Oh, he's played I by Liam he was McShane. Thing. Yes, the last time we saw him was in 2020. Because remember, Sean was doing that Pyramid scheme, yeah, to try and raise money. To get a place for him and Dylan to live. Right, yeah, so that he could have Dylan all the time and so that Dylan didn't have to live in that London with his mum. Right. You know. And then that stopped being a thing. Yeah, it petered out. But they're bringing him back because we're we're competing with soaps that have younger audiences and younger characters. That's why? I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? I'm speculating here. This is the Fox News of Corey News. <laughs> people are saying. Well, people believe that Dylan's going to come back for... Right, yeah. Someone definitely not returning is Brooke Vincent, who said this week that she is committed to her children and not to the show at this time. Yeah, that's a wee shame, but 
absolutely understandable. Yeah. Perhaps the fact that at one point Helen Flanagan told her she should get lip fillers might have something to do with it as well. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. It was like years ago where that was where we were focusing more on looks, I guess, than still. It's kind of yucky. Well, the two of them have kind of left for the same reason. So they've gone off and had families and right. focusing on that. Which means that the girl's trademark ceased to be a thing, which right. gives Sally something else to talk about, I guess. Yes. Which is fine. It allows her to have much more kinky sex with Tim. <laughs> right. Once his heart is good enough. Right, which is a good thing. Which his heart seems to be good enough for everything else now, so who knows. Because apparently the hospitals in Manchester are magic <laughs> on this show. We but knew never this mind. We'll, we'll get to that later. <clears throat> Finally! Something that you can see in the near future on Coronation Street is a new set. <laughs> Coronation Street. Street. It's a new set. Plans are in the works for building the Weatherfield Precinct. From the 1970s. Sorry. <clears throat> the 1970s. Are you Fat Albert all of a sudden? I don't know where that voice came from. It sounded like Fat Albert. They should get you to do Fat Albert's voice now that Bill Cosby absolutely cannot do anything just, involving children. I forgot how that voice is supposed to sound. The 1970s. That was That's the 80s one. That's the same thing. Is it? Mm-hmm. Oh, well. Yeah, apparently... Since there we were precincts a thing, they're knocking down precincts to build better things where people don't get mugged. Well, apparently they're going to be shops on the yeah, bottom. Yeah, that's what a precinct is. Right. Well, not in America. So I'm explaining to... Well, the, but the, this the set give isn't them, set in America. Right, yeah. But we have American listeners who may not know that precinct means something different over there than here. Apparently, they're going to be like lots of shops on the bottom, and maybe that will give Coronation Street the opportunity to sell some more sponsorships to more shops that exist in the real world and maybe line the pockets of Coronation Street a wee bit so they can. Yeah, it kind of feels like they're, they're not building the insides of these no. shops, so nobody's going to work there. No. They'll still all work at the factory, but right. they'll have the frontage of an Ann Summers or something like that. Right, yeah. Apparently, People talk about the precinct all the time. They just never, we never see it. It's kind of like Sarah and Adam's apartment. I don't remember people talking about the precinct. It's never been mentioned. Yeah. Apparently it's been mentioned for decades now. But like once every three years or something. I've never heard it spoken. No. But according to the articles that I have read, this has been a longstanding thing that we never got to see and now we get to see it. Great. 40 and years too late, but thanks. It, it, you know, it looks like a cast off set piece from the misfits it looks horrid it doesn't look great <laughs> but it's just a model maybe it's a computer in real life of it. right sure. yeah. maybe in real life it'll look better one can only hope yeah and one can only hope that that will be enough that and dylan will be enough to save the show <laughs> we'll see based on the last few weeks the jury is still out right and that's coronation news Corey news <laughs> Coronation news. It sounds so much more serious. Dum dum dum. The report on Coronation Street. Live from <laughs> Helen's riffing. This is not riffing. This is no, that's, digging, riffing. digging myself a ditch. There we go. That's what I'm doing. On to our mailbag then. John went in to say, not sure how many specials they made, but the one I saw was Romanian Holiday with Roy and Haley house sitting for Frankie Baldwin. Simon Crowther is one of the writers, and it's pretty good. Worth checking out. I remember that one. I seem to remember an Egyptian one, but I might be thinking of Harry Potter. Or Death on the Nile. I, I, think, Ch- I think Chesney was in Egypt, but that might have been Ron Weasley. 
I, seriously, I'm I'm confusing myself. Or maybe it was, um, maybe it was um. Helen Ruffing again. Kenneth Branagh. And now we'll podcast for coffee. Because he was ginger initially before he went grey. Didn't, oh. isn't he? Sh- shall we finish that? No, it's fine. What an awesome response to our little charity drive that we started last week. Remember, through the month of March, we're going to be donating all our coffee money to Sunflower of Peace. Funds raised for Sunflower of Peace provide medical and humanitarian aid will be used by paramedics and doctors in the areas that are affected by the violence in Ukraine. This means first aid backpacks, medicine, medical instruments, and other means of survival that are saving hundreds of lives. Find out more at sunflowerofpeace.com. We'll be matching contributions up to a couple of hundred bucks, and I think my work further matches it. So it's at least... A couple of bucks in the dollar, it might be four. Yes. Which is pretty decent. Yes. So thank you to Canadian Helen. Woohoo! Who says, hello, Helen Gavin, I hope that my donation can be of help to the courageous people in Ukraine. Thank you very much, Canadian Helen. And then Ross Jackie, here for your charity drive, and thank you for helping this Tuesday morning be free of brain gremlins and on singing ABBA songs at me when I forget my earphones. Take care. I hate when I forget to take my earphones to work. Because you've got to listen to people. I've, I've never used ear. Uh, well, I I used to use earbuds when I went to work. Yeah. Because you have to. But I don't tend to use earbuds very often. I was just thinking about that the other day. I think my ears are just too sensitive for them. I try ears. to use I try to use earplugs at bedtime as well, and they just they bug my ears too much. Mm. So, which is a shame. Anyway. Thanks for that. <laughs> and thanks to John, who we just mentioned from. The mailbag. Hi, Helen Gavin. Here's a wee something for your charity appeal. Expect Sunflower of Peace will make great use of the money to help those unfortunate souls in the Ukraine. I hope your target is exceeded. Well, we're off to a fantastic start. Yes. So thank you to John and to Jackie and to Helen for their donations. They're very generous donations uh, this week. Get us off to a flying start. If you want to join in, you can, in inverted commas, buy us coffee by going to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. And we'll be very appreciative. And now, it's Helen's favourite section, YouTubes. I'm sticking with it. It's fine, whatever. You forgot to mention that you bought a guitar for yourself this week. Well, you didn't ask me how it was, and that's when I was going to Well, I was going to ask you, and then you cut me off. So, this is a section where we talk about what's new on our... We have an order (laughs) of bits... (laughs) We've, we've skipped over the bit where I can talk about my guitar, which I'm... You're very chuffed with. I'm very chuffed with. I can, can I see it over your shoulder? Yes. It's lovely. So, <laughs> the guitar, is, not me. Both are lovely. Okay. One is lovelier than the other. But which one is it? <laughs> it's my darling, of course. Uh, on YouTube section, then. <laughs> this is the section where we talk about what's new on our YouTube channel. There's the regular stuff. There's last week's podcast and four clips of the episode this week to cover the extended Coronation Street schedule this week. Mm-hmm. And this week's special is The Vegetarian Butcher. This is a superb cut of the storyline where Maxine bullies Ashley into becoming vegetarian with unhilarious consequences from round about March, April 2000. Does it Quite involve, a funny wee story. Does it involve poo? No, because he's a butcher, you see. And his dad's 
full-on butcher right. who disapproves of Ashley becoming vegetarian, thinks it sends out the wrong message. Right. But Maxine wants to become vegetarian because she had to kill a mouse or something like that. <laughs> and then she wants her cat to become vegetarian. So yeah, cats that doesn't want, work. Yeah, that doesn't no. Work. And Toya sets her straight on that. That will, that will murder your kill cat. Kill the cat, yes. <clears throat> that will torture your cat to death. So if any of that tickles your fancy, head over to youtube.com slash the Talking Street Podcast, smash that subscribe button and lick the baldy wee heed of that notification bell. <laughs> and now this. But not which heed. You can choose. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to last year tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about quack quack ouch. Does this have anything to do with being bit by a duck? That's right. This was Ridian talking to Sean about his double glammy shite in the duck pond that one of the leaders of double glammy had at the bottom of their garden not to be confused with their hot tub quack quack ouch remember Welsh Ridian? yeah I don't know what quack quack ouch means though because it was a duck pond but don't confuse it for a hot tub because if the ducks go in the hot tub it'll be too hot for them right and if you jump naked in the duck pond the ducks will bite your bobby <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm I thinking think, it's a worm I think that's what they were aiming for definitely <laughs> I was Gavin and you couldn't believe that I didn't like Ted Lasso. You still don't like no. t- Ted Lasso. I said at the time that I didn't hate it, I just didn't find it funny. Now I kind of hate it. We discovered that there was 320 bucks in our little lawn guy fund in that pencil holder over there. How much is in there now? 430. Mm. <laughs> it's actually getting a fairly decent rate of return in there. <laughs> you discovered that people at the drive through cookie booths didn't know what drive through meant. And you bought a bunk bed for a returning firstborn. Sean finds it more difficult to leave the pyramid scheme than he anticipated when it turns out that the person above him in the chain has leased a car and has tidy facial hair. That's Ridian. Mm-hmm. Steve is convinced that Peter is on the bevy again and so refuses to let him finish any sentences where he might explain what's actually going on. Fizz teases Tyrone about his supposed infatuation with Alina and his reaction suggests there might be something to the allegations. Uh-oh. It was a year ago. Tim's mum officially moves onto the street and as a housewarming gift gives Yasmin a page worth of framed rhyming poetry, which I believe we mocked. <laughs> Ronnie officially moves onto the street by taking the room at the Rovers B&B He's been a year in the B&B Yeah Remember when I was like two months in that hotel uh-huh. When we first moved, well when I first moved over uh-huh. And you kind of, you're, you really like, want to die than spend another day in a hotel I feel like a and b is more cosy than a hotel though Because it's more homey He's officially a lodger now is what I think it is yeah. when is he, When are he and Debbie going to move in together? That's what I want to know That's right Where does Debbie live? We've never seen Debbie's house. No. Hmm. Hmm. She lives in her office. Probably. She probably lives in one of the many rooms that she has available at the Rape Hotel. Possible. And as a housewarming gift, Ronnie gives Jenny some chat and Ed gets blooted. Abby has her heart set on a wedding venue in a warehouse with floor-to-ceiling windows, much to Kev's wallet's disappointment. Nina's status as a permanent member of the Allahan family is under threat when she worries that she and Asha are on different pages emotionally in their relationship. Kelly dropped some tabs that have been on Leanne's floor. A dead dog is a source of some prime Seb stand-up. Debbie knows someone with a penny farthing. Ryan's barrel-changing skills are underappreciated. And Roy's roles doesn't do frappuccinos. Our moment of the week was Nina and Roy talking about honesty in relationships. And a boring moment of the week was Ken buying practical boat owner. Seriously, they could, though, because they have a milkshake machine and they do sell coffee and milkshakes. So yeah. why not make a frappuccino there, Roy? What's wrong with you? Hmm. 
and that was Coronation Street. <laughs> and the talk of the street this time last year. Shall we dive yes, in? Yes, please. Let's just... We've got an extra day to get through, if, get which this... makes us worse, let's face it. Get this horrible slog over with. <laughs> just, just, just to... Settle back and enjoy, listeners. Just to notify everyone... Our moment of the week will probably involve chess again this week. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Our first storyline this morning is the Roy's Gambit. Woohoo! Or is the Cropper's Gambit better? No, Roy's. The Roy's, I think, is. Roy's, because Roy, the Roy's. And Roy and Queen both only have one syllable. Oh, and Roy is French for royal. Yes. There we go. On Sunday at the Bistro, infotainment. At the base Nick is still worried about Sam, so Leanne distracts him with a rendition of Joseph and his technical dream coat. It seems that Sam is tired at school because he's up all night reading books about chess, and hilariously enough, my notes has spell checked and auto corrected dream coat to dream boat. Aww. It's a very different musical. Yes. Nick pops into Nina's roles to speak with Roy. Nick has decided that Sam couldn't take another beating and asks that Roy teaches him without crushing his spirit. Roy can't go easy on him because he'll know. Because yeah. Sam will know. And that will crush his spirit. Right. But he might have a better idea. <laughs> so later, Sam comes into Nina's roles to find a chess set all ready to go, but it isn't Roy who's going to play him. It's Brian. And Brian doesn't take no shit from nobody. Game on, he says. Did, did I mention Brian that. Brian doesn't realise that he's a sacrificial goat in this. Did I mention that a, a couple of weeks ago, Stella and I watched a movie called United and in which. The actor who plays Brian was was a Bobby who was telling... Oh, policeman. Bobby, not Bobby. <laughs> who was telling, you know... Very different things. Yeah. Who didn't believe that this one guy was a soccer player and was telling him to get on home and, and get away from the soccer place. And then... The soccer place. And then uh, Kathy was... Uh, oh. The, the actress who plays Kathy was also in it, but had nothing to do with, the, with Brian. She was the mother of the famous... Manchester United soccer player that the movie was about, who was one of the few survivors of a plane crash in the 50s. And 60s. I, yeah. 60s? 50s, 60s? They looked... They, Munich, the Munich plane crash. Yes, yes. So, and I'm embarrassed that I can't remember that guy's name, but it was a number of weeks ago. But still, I was like, look, it's 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 Brian. And then look, it's Kathy. And Stelly's just like, you know everybody and everything, and you know everything else that they've ever done. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of how my brain works. Yeah, it's annoying. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Lots to get through. So later, <laughs> Sam and Brian's game is heating up, particularly for Brian, who's sweating like a thing on a different thing that makes the first thing sweat a lot. <laughs> Check and mate, says Sam. Get it right fucking up, you. Yeah. They shake hands, Brian quickly making these excuses and leaving before mm-hmm. any talk of a rematch. Right. Sam is getting too big for his boots as he relives his triumph to Roy, who tells him to wind his neck in. Yeah. And then he gives Sam a gift. It's a notebook to log all these games in. Fuck me, says Sam. Thanks, Mr. Cropper. Yeah. Then Nick comes in to pick up Sam, thrilled to learn that he beat Brian fair and square. Roy calls Sam a precocious talent and his rate of learning is outstanding. Nick. Yeah, Nick initially thinks that Brian let Sam win. Yeah. Way to go, Nick. <laughs> Nick is impressed he can barely cope with hungry hippos. I believe that. Roy tells Sam to concentrate on his schoolwork if he wants these lessons to continue. Is it called just Hungry Hippos in the mm-hmm. UK? It's not Hungry Hungry Hippos? No, we, the point is made for the first Hungry <laughs> I think. The reinforcement is just gilding the lily. <laughs> hungry Hungry Hippos. Thank you, Roy, for raising my child, says Nick. 
Then on Monday, Sam and Nick drop in at the bistro for dinner. Sam just wants to talk chess, but Nick is more concerned about his schoolwork and is even more so when he gets a call from the school saying that Sam has fallen back in his homework. The school are worried, I've just said this, and because Sam wrote the word chess a million times in his homework. He has a word with Sam who tells him to keep his hair on, he's doing everything he needs to do at school. Right. Nick insists that schoolwork comes before chess. Leanne tells him to cock Annie, but Nick says this obsession with chess has to stop. Be obsessed with your schoolwork instead. <laughs> and Nick's obsession with being a tit really needs to stop. Yeah, seriously. He's like, it's like, would you rather your kid be doing drugs or getting hope pregnant or something? <laughs> it's a neither or deal. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, get ready. <coughs> There's so much worse things that Sam could be involved with, and he just lost his mum. It's it ch- and chess was the thing that helped him start talking again. Why? What is wrong with Nick? Mm-hmm. He's fast becoming the worst dad on the street. Yeah, I preferred with, him when he was crying all the time. Remember that? Ty- it, with Tyrone and um, Chesney right there, Nick is becoming the worst dad on the street. <laughs> They're right there. In They're right sight. there in plain sight. Being horrible parents. I had this, this thought and scripted scene had the same thought that what Sam's probably doing is just the bare minimum. Kind of like what our Nick did. Right. In school. He would, he knew how much he needed to score in the end of term exam. Right. To make it pointless to do his homework. Right. So, so long as he scored like 89% in his end of year exam he'd pass the class right and then he would have time for other things outside of school right. that he you know he was smart enough to to do great things for a while he just didn't want to do great things and that in the end bit him in the ass yeah because all of a sudden he stopped getting 89 percent on his exams but anyway right so this is what sounds to i think he's doing the, the homework to a standard that makes it a pass right and then starts reading about chess which right. is more interesting than yeah which is fine it's and kinda... and he also he, he does say to nick look this Schoolwork is boring. Mm-hmm. I know all this stuff. So why do I have... To, which is something that Arnick used to say. He's like, I know this stuff already. So why do I have to do the homework? This is boring. To prove it. Yeah. And so, and to practice so that the stuff that you don't know that will be built on top of this foundation. Yeah. Anyway. anyway we're not, kids. We're not arguing with Nick again. No. <laughs> he's 23 now. That ship has passed. Oh, wait till he's 28. And then that's that's a joke. <laughs> Later, Nick tells Sam to pull his socks up and do his homework and bans Sam from playing chess with Roy for the foreseeable future. Sam points out that he's done everything that he's been asked to do, but Nick totally has sand under his foreskin about this and says Roy won't miss him. Which is kind of horrible. Leanne tries to intervene, but Nick tells it to butt out. He's my son. Yeah. Yeah, To which Leanne says, fuck you. (laughs) Later, under torchlight, Sam reads his big book about chess again. Then at number eight, Sam is in a bad mood with Nick about the chess thing and tells Granny Gail. He asked if Nick was this much of a prick when he was Sam's age and Gail confirms that yes, yes he was. He was a total prick. He he was obsessed with stickers. That is what people were obsessed with. I remember that, you know, because you could get the scratch and sniff ones, you could get the puffy ones, you could get the fuzzy ones. There were so many stickers you could collect. I had a sticker collection. We We just had the sticky ones. You didn't have scratch and sniff stickers? I don't think so. You scratched them and they smelled. They were kind of like those markers that smelled of different fruits and stuff, which I know you had in the UK because I was talking to somebody on Twitter about it. Fruits. Yeah. They were called something else here, but they were great. I love the grape one. I also love the grape scratch and sniff sticker. Ah, oh, the 80s. Ah, uh, scratch he, and sniff away. He was also so, 
it, he was also obsessed with New Kids on the Block, which I find endearing. Yeah. <laughs> a strange choice. Only Gail doesn't call it New Kids on the Block. She sells it new. She, she gets it wrong, but that's what she means. And it was mostly. New boys on the block. It was mostly girls that liked New Kids on the Block. I knew a few boys who liked them. Those were the ones that turned out to be gay later on. There you go. But, you know, I, I knew a lot of straight boys who liked them, but they didn't really like them. They just said that they liked them to get girls. Yeah. Lots to get through. Hmm. So Granny Gale promises to have a word. Nick goes around to Nina's role to speak with Roy, who's setting up the board ahead of his game with Sam, and Nick explains that Sam won't be playing with him again, which surprises Roy, and he sadly packs away the board. What a prick. Seriously. Seriously. Then Nick goes out to see Gail, who gives him a talking to about Sam's chest. Nick is worried that he's using chest to replace the pain of losing Natasha. Is that Which a bad is thing, fine. says Gail? Yeah, seriously. What? If this is the way he's going to process his grief, let him. Mm-hmm. It is helping. It's helping him to talk again. Let him. It doesn't always have to be the way you want it to be. And it doesn't always have to be something that you're involved with, which I think is the thing that really bothers him about the chess more than anything is that it's something that he's doing with Roy that Nick can't be involved in because he can't even do Hungry Hungry Hippos. Well, there's that. And there's the fact that he's now full-time dad all of a sudden. Right. And he doesn't know how to be a dad. Doesn't know how to do it. Nope. He's demonstrating. Yes. So on Wednesday, Nick, Leanne and Sam are walking to the car. Nick wants to reward Sam with going bowling if he does all his homework. Sam reminds Nick that there's some other activity that he'd maybe prefer to do. No, says Nick. It's bowling or nothing. Right, yeah. And see, this is this is the really obnoxious. This is proves the point that it's not he's not he's je- he's jealous of the chess and of Roy more than anything. Right. Because he's like, no, you can only do homework unless you do an activity that I could do, like bowling. The alternative being that maybe Nick starts taking an interest in chess. Right. But he doesn't do it. Brian pops into the bistro, happy to talk to Leanne about Sam's gift for chess. Leanne suspects Roy is behind this and explains that Nick's banned him from playing it. And Brian is disappointed, but is sure that she and Nick must have their reasons, he says mysteriously. So Leanne goes to see Roy and tells him that Nick has had a change of heart and wants to start the chess thing again, only this time she'll be the one to drop him off and pick him up. And this pleases Roy, who chooses not to investigate or ask any questions. Yes. On Friday, Leanne is walking Sam to school. He's worried about keeping the chest thing quiet from Nick because he's not used to lying. But Leanne thinks it's a strategy or something and it's best just to keep it down in the low. It's like that stre- that chest thing where you go, boom, checkmate. Either way, <laughs> Sam is dead appreciative. That's, that's only when you're playing with famous celebrity chefs. Right. Lots to get through. Back at the bistro, Leanne and Nick chat about who's picking Sam up this afternoon. Nick offers to do it, but Leanne is insisting that she does it because there's going to be a playgroup or something afterwards at the park. Nick thinks this sounds much better than playing stinky chess with fucking Roy. Leanne looks as bored out of her tits as Nick does as she watches Roy beat Sam at chess again at the cafe. Sam was sure that he had the upper hand and asks Roy to point out where he went wrong while Leanne sighs and dramatically yawns. Roy and Sam are talking deep chess. Leanne thinks it's time to go. Roy wants to explain to Sam about Vladimirov's thunderbolt. How can I say no to that wee face, says Leanne, and also Sam. Mm-hmm. Roy is chuffed that Nick ha- has about faced on the chess thing. Yes, says Leanne. Yes, says Sam. So Leanne gets Sam back to the bistro and tells Nick that this playgroup thing in the park is going to be a regular thing from now on. Nick is thrilled. Chess can go and suck a big old bag of crusty dicks, he says. And that's as far as we get with that this week. 
Chesney and and uh, Tyrone right there, and si- yet Nick is the worst dad on the street. Chesney sighing this week, a huge sigh of relief. Seriously, taking the taking the weight off of two other horrible dads. Mm-hmm. Are there any good dads on the street besides Roy? I, I think Steve may be the pick of the bunch. Yeah, Steve's a good dad. Hmm. He is. He's very supportive of his daughters. He wasn't so supportive when he was wrestling Jacob to the ground. Right. Well, he he thought he was being supportive. He was trying to protect her. It's it's better than other dads. Tim's a good dad, mm. I think. Wasn't always. No, that's true. That's why Faye is so fucked up. <laughs> right. Let's, let's admit it. Faye is fucked up. <laughs> yes, she is. Uh, makes you tremble for what I hope will be like as a teenager and a young woman. Oof, I think we're... I think that fruit is starting to, to bear, isn't it? <laughs> anyway. Yeah. This this whole thing. It's like, let's take the one delightful storyline we have and make it worse. Yeah, because I think we all know the direction this is going to go in because surprise, surprise, Nick's going to find out. Right. And surprise, surprise, Nick's not going to be happy. And he's going to blame Roy, who is also in the dark about this. And then Roy is going to be upset because yet another person has involved him in a lie mm-hmm. albeit uh much more gentle than you know abby with a gun <laughs> yeah some with chess is better than abby with a gun mm-hmm. definitely abby's got a gun bum, 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 bum. abby's got a gun <laughs> i'm just doing this to see if she knows the next thing bum, 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 bum. the something has just and begun <laughs> <laughs> and everybody is on the run what did your daddy do Anyway, what did he? Put lots you to get through. through. <laughs> I think, yeah, this is obviously going to come back and, and bite Nick and Leanne and poor wee Sam's the one yeah. that's going to get hurt and all this and not going to get hopefully, to play chess. Hopefully, what will happen is Nick will realize what a dick he's been. Mm-hmm. That you know, they've had to do this. He and Sam will have a heart to heart talk. You know, and he'll actually be talking to his son about the things that he thinks his, his son is thinking instead of talking to all these other people about what he thinks his son is thinking. Oh, and then he'll find out what his son is actually thinking. Oh, Sam will go home with a massive trophy mm-hmm. and Nick will say, where did you get that? And Sam will say, I got this from the thing in the park. I'm the best person at the thing in the park right. thing. Why yeah. does it look like a chess piece? No, it's just coincidence. Yeah. Or seeing the big, huge trophy will make Nick realize that chess is actually a good thing. And competitive, like sports, and let him play, and not think that it's some nerdy thing that well, he can't get involved in. It's really good for like conceptual, abstract thinking, right? Yeah. When you're thinking about these, are all the permutations of what could happen if I Absolutely. move this thing here, right? And if they move that thing here, then here are all the different tendrils that yeah. kind of branch out from this. Yeah, it's great for for kind of spatial thinking and all that sort Absolutely. of stuff. Absolutely. So Nick should shop. He should. Our next one on this one is over sharing Sarah. Ugh. I think this is just on Sunday. It is just on Sunday. On Thank Sunday, God. Adam is still being questioned by PC Kev Lukalaiki, who has no desire to believe any of Adam's excuses about how come all of the threatening texts came from his IP address. She cloned my phone, insists Adam. Yeah, right, says PC Kev Lukalaiki. Carl and Sarah chatting like about... Like women know how to do technology. Right. <laughs> well, actually, research shows it in the STEM field. Anyway... <clears throat> Carla and Sarah are chatting about the weird Adam behaviour. Neither believe Adam is capable, but then Lydia comes in to say that Adam has been arrested after trashing her flat. And again, Sarah and Carla find this difficult to believe. This isn't Adam. 
Back at the law office, Adam and Imran are discussing Adam's arrest when an old man with green hair comes in asking if either of them is Imran Habib. So, this man comes in, he sees Imran, and he sees Adam, Mm -hmm. and he says, is either one of you Imran Habib? It's fair. They both have beards. (laughs) Yeah. But when he catches wind that Adam is Adam Barlow, who's been getting all those negative reviews, he leaves in a hurry. Good day, sir. I said good day. I said good day to you. And also, because Imran makes... His last name's hair, and he's got green hair, and you think he wants to sue his barber or something. green? It was green, wasn't it? Was it was grey, but it was like very fuzzy and weird. He looked like a mad scientist. Oh, it looked green to me. It looked grey on my iPod. iPod? iPad. iPad. No one has an iPod anymore. No. iPod except, next. Except my kid. My kid has one somewhere. <laughs> Generation Z really likes old tech. Anyway, Daniel goes to see Adam. He's the one who gave him Lydia's address, apparently, so that answers that question. As they're chatting about it, Adam gets a text from the chief smart solicitor society guy. He's been reported and could get struck off. Dum, dum, dum. So Adam goes back to the office and tells him uh, Imran about the latest development. Imran hangs his head, but before he can say anything, Adam announces that he's going to be taking a step back from the business until he can clear his name. Which is exactly what Imran suggested last week. Right. Adam winds up in the rovers, chatting to Daisy about his woes when Sarah comes in. And the two of them seem to have a reasonable conversation as Adam blames Lydia for everything. Sarah doesn't know where she gets the time or the ability to buy stuff in his card and send messages on his phone and constantly break into the flat and all that stuff. He begs her to believe him, but she doesn't believe a word he says anymore. And he and she tells him to stay away from her and Harry. Yes. On his way out, disgusted and heartbroken, Lydia comes over to gloat at Adam. He congratulates her for ruining his life. Oh, sweetheart, she says. I'm just getting started. And, and one then ho- nothing for the rest of the week. Right. And one hopes, <laughs> although this obviously doesn't happen, one hopes that he's got, his phone is recording the conversation in his pocket. Which it isn't. It isn't, but it would be helpful if, if it did. Mm-hmm. It would be helpful if, you know, he actually got wise and did the thing that lawyers are, are always telling me to do, which is document everything. But he's not a very smart lawyer. He's lawyers are always good. telling you to do that? Yeah. You're having a lot of contact with lawyers these days? No comment. <laughs> Interesting. Lloyd. Lloyd used to tell me that all the time. Oh, oh yeah, sure. Whew. <laughs> so, yeah. And Steve. <laughs> right. This is the two lawyers I know. <laughs> yeah, oh, and that guy who used to drink in the... Drinking darbs with us, the skitty guy who doesn't shower very often, who has an office outside of town. Who, yeah, let's not name him. Who voted for me and had my signs out. Yeah, good guy. Yes, he's a good guy. People don't use phones for the reasons that phones are there to be used. Because whenever they need to use them to call anybody, <coughs> the, there's no battery. Or they leave it on the bar or they, I don't know, forget their pin or and, something. And here you have a means to... To clear your name, really, right. by or maybe not legally, but at least with Sarah, to surreptitiously record but every conversation that you have with Lydia. None of the things that he could use to clear his name with with the police does he mention. Now, once does he say, look, check the CCTV outside my house at 3 a.m. and see if she's sitting outside there or her car is there. Look. Check the CCTV in the hotel and see if I'm sitting with her or I'm with her at any time. 
on the night in question with the whole oyster things. Look, dust the stuff in her apartment for prints and see if I've touched any of those things. Check the door that supposedly I forced open and see if there's proof of a forced entry there because there won't be. Or just maybe speak to the guy that was crying that the, you right. had to meet in the way. My client. Right. Speak with my client. Right. Who I was with the whole time. There are plenty of avenues to explore to clear his name. And if he had called Imran to represent him instead of trying to represent himself, which even lawyers aren't supposed to do, mm-hmm. maybe some of that stuff might come up. But no, he's just, he's so blustery. He's, he can't see the forest for the trees. You know, he's so intent on clearing his name that he doesn't think of all the things that could help him clear his name. He thinks his word should be enough. But again, it's, it's yet another plot contrivance in the storyline that is absolutely brimming with them. And it just, it, it bothers me so much because some of the things that other characters are doing and saying, which kind of gives Sarah pause occasionally, like when Sarah was telling Carla about these text messages... And Carla's like, well, that doesn't sound like Adam at all. It, abusers tend to be have one public face mm-hmm. and then another face behind closed doors right. when they're doing the abusing. So to have this sort of... I like the phrase, doing, doing the, the abusing. abusing. That should be in a poster or something. <laughs> so, to, so to have this whole, oh, well, I think maybe, maybe... Adam is right because he's never threatened me before or he's never acted like this before with you, has he? It, it It's the show trying to help but also reinst- reinforcing bad stereotypes about why women don't come forward in the first place, mm-hmm. which this whole storyline does quite well even without all of that stuff. Right. I just, I hate it to bits. I. <sighs> anyway. What are we talking about next? Yeah, I think we're done with that. Well, Moving on to proper dying. On Sunday, in the rose gold flat, Gary's interrupted doing his morning aerobics by Kelly. That was funny. That was funny. He was giving he's dressed big like, He's dressed like uh, like Olivia Newton-John right? <laughs> in the physical video. Yeah. He's got the headband and everything. The fluorescent headband, <laughs> yes. no less. Which clashes with his hair. Well, everything clashes Gingers with his hair. aren't supposed to wear pink. Didn't he get the memo? Wasn't it green? I thought it was pink. Something on him was pink. I think his headband was green. But he shorts were pink spent pink. some time... Learning that routine. And, and also getting dressed up mm-hmm. to do it. Oh, this yeah. isn't something that he just... Oh, do you know what? I'll do a little workout. He's he's planned this. He's really into it. Yeah. It's choreographed quite well for, that, for the space that they have in that flat as well. He claims that he uh, couldn't find his insanity DVD. Right. Whatever that is. Sure. Kelly claims to have been out running and goes off to get a shower, go to school, and then has a shift to the barbers. Busy day for Kelly. Yes. Kelly isn't running, though. No. She's she's not sweaty. She's taking care of her mum in a wee bed sit. Poor Kelly is run ragged, insisting to everyone that she's fine. She's fine. She's not fine. She's not fine. She's back in the street later and nearly gets run down by Simon on his bike. He asks her how she's doing and she explains that she's getting pulled in a million directions and she's on her period. I can help you, says Simon, still desperate for his hole, and he takes her to the chippy. Yeah, see, he can help feed her, but he can't help her with the period or the other thing. Yeah, he just said the other thing, because he's a man and he can't say period. Or menstruation. menstruation. Oh, chills down the spine. (laughs) 
Kelly explains her itinerary with her mum, school and her job. Simon falls asleep listening to it. He tells her that she needs help and she needs to tell Gary and Maria, but Kelly thinks Gary wants nothing to do with Laura. And besides, she'll be dead soon. Simon sympathises. He couldn't cope looking after Leanne. That's how he ended up with the whole Jacob situation. And drugs. And he begs her to say something. On Monday at the Rose Gold Flat, Maria spots that her rival for the council thing has ads in the paper, so this makes Maria think that she needs ads for the paper too, and she ropes Gary and Kelly in to help her design them. And Maria decides to give Kelly some more work at the stylists and gives her homeless shoes trimmed tomorrow. Kelly tries to get out of it because of looking after her mum, but Maria's having none of it, so Kelly has to agree. Kelly has nipped out to get ice cream when she runs into Simon on his bike again when she gets a call from her mum, who has fallen, and she can't, she can't get, get up. up. I've fallen, and I can't get up. We're sending help immediately, Mrs. Fletcher. Simon offers to g- give her a backy, but not like that. But Kelly needs to get there in a hurry, and she asks Simon to keep his mouth shut. Remember when that was remixed, the song, mixing it with uh, James Brown? This is an old version of it. I've fallen. Yeah, that's the OG. And I can't get up. I get up. We're sending help immediately, Mrs. Fletcher. I get up. But they remade it with that line kind of delivered in in that way. Yeah, that that company uses that line all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. OG is the best, though. It's like the wee wee Wendy's lady who who asks where the beef is. (laughs) Where's the beef? That was a Walter Mondale bumper sticker. (laughs) Which I don't understand why. And the only reason I know that is because of The Simpsons. Where's the beef? It's like when I had to explain Grey Poupon to you. I, I still don't hear that the way it's spelled out. It's grape. Poo. Pawn. Not Grey Poupon. <laughs> so, what, anyway. You didn't understand. Lots to get through. For decades, you didn't understand that reference in Wayne's World. From. <laughs> From seeing Wayne's World for the first time up to meeting you. You had no idea. I had no idea. And I don't think you told me on the first day that we met. No, no, of course not. It didn't come up the first day we met. Yeah, there are things to do. We did. So. And we did them. <laughs> so, yeah. I've fallen and I can't get up. We're sending help immediately, Mrs. Fletcher. You never had that problem. Anyway, Not so Kelly anyway. gets well. Hamsters all. So Kelly gets to her mum and helps her get up and goes. To, like that? And goes to make her dinner because she hasn't eaten. This is getting worse, says Kelly. You're expecting my terminal illness to get better, says Laura. Kelly gets a call from Maria and tells her that she'll be staying with her mate tonight and she's had some bad news. So the next day, Maria leaves a message with Kelly warning that homeless Stew is still sitting there waiting for his haircut. Simon wanders by, and when questioned by Gary and Maria about Kelly's whereabouts, he grasses her right up without a second thought. Back at Laura's flat, Kelly is force-feeding her, when there's a knock at the door, and bloody hell, wouldn't you know it, but it's Gary. Fucking Simon, says Kelly. <laughs> she does. So Kelly explains that this is where she comes to when she says that she's running, but she couldn't tell Gary because he'd made it clear that he didn't believe Laura was dying. Gary thinks Laura should be in hospital, but there's nothing they can do, she says. Kelly refuses to let her mum die alone. And also, she's not, they don't really want to put cancer patients in hospital until they absolutely need to. No. Hospice is what she needs to go in. Right. Especially right now, because COVID is still a thing. Maria has put her sign up in the cabin for her uh, little political campaign thing. 
and asks Ed and Paul for their opinion. They think she's misspelled hair in her slogan for clean air. Right, it's, yeah. It's hilarious. Is it? No. Back at the Rose Gold Flat, Marie and Gary are very understanding, but worried that Kelly has too much on her plate. Gary promises to help, as long as there are no more lies. No more. No more lies. He's the Riddler. Right. Or she's the Riddler. No, he. He. On Wednesday, <laughs> remember it's Gary and women. Oh, that's right. On Wednesday, everyone's running late at the Rose Gold Flat. It's Kelly's first solo trim today. And she decides now is the time to hand in her notice. She's just got too much on her plate right now with her mum falling over and stuff. It's the right thing to do. So Gary and Maria chat about Kelly giving up her job. Maria has a solution in mind, but doesn't think Gary's going to like it. Mm. And you kind of know what that solution is, right? Right, Because it's Maria. After this discussion, Maria runs it by Kelly. They want to invite Laura to stay with them. Where? Until she has to go to hospice or until she blows it and they chuck her out or she dies. Belter, says Kelly. And Gary's already over helping Laura pack. So Laura moves into the Rose Gold flat. She and Kelly have so much to thank Gary for, and she's going to do her bit by hiring a private investigator to track down Rick the Chin so she can get her hands on his loot. Uh, great idea, says Gary. <laughs> Do, I'm starting to worry about Laura at this point again, because the previous day she was looking... She wasn't looking great. Mm. She was looking in pretty bad shape. She manages to move and then move into an upstairs flat mm-hmm. with Gary and Maria. Right. And all of a sudden, it's put a wee bit of colour in her cheeks and now she doesn't look like she's so ill. But she's got all this medication. Yeah. She's, Is she dying, do you think? Uh, yeah, she's got medication. And it's like medication, medication, because Kelly's having to go and pick it up. So it's not like Curtis taking vitamins. Right. Yeah, and it sounds Kelly like Kelly has been picking and, up. You're right, and Kelly has been going to the hospital with her mother for her appointment. Presumably, she says, doesn't she? I don't know. We certainly don't see it. No, and but, there's a hospital set right there. But they do talk about it, I believe. Hmm. Besides, at, they need the hospital set for another storyline, another horrible storyline. Back at the flat, Gary's having kittens as he explains to Maria about Laura wanting to hire a PI to find Rick. Let's hope he's shite, says Maria, and that gives Gary a brainwave, and he offers to source a PI for Laura. This was funny. This was, this was really funny. So Gary meets Lenny, the PI, who he previously hired to track down Laura, or keep an eye on her, and mm. I think track her down, wasn't it? The gig is to... Who pre- was horrible. The gig is to pretend that he's looking for Rick's money, but he isn't really. All he has to do is invent a few leads and use a new identity. Well, what identity should I use, says Lenny. Use your imagination, says Gary. Which is Gary's mistake. It is Gary's mistake. And I thought Lenny was particularly funny as Gary's trying to explain the situation at home. Yeah. Where he's living with Maria and Laura. Ooh, a little throuple. I know, says, I know. What's Lenny. The, this is the this is second week in a row that somebody has mentioned a throuple. Mm-hmm. Which, Lenny says it wrong, which is funny. Right, which, which is proof positive that the writers of the show listen to us. So Gary, well, that means this is our fault then. Yes. Oh, damn it. So Gary and Lenny, who introduces himself as Kenny, go to the flat and Laura immediately recognises him from taking photos of her in, the, in her back garden. He says that that was Lenny, his twin. <laughs> Laura remains unimpressed and tells him to go get Benny or an actual professional. I still get paid, right? Says Lenny. I'll miss Lenny. Lenny's funny. Yeah. Maria, I'm kind of bummed out that we're not going to get more Lenny. Me too. I'm bummed out totally about that. 
Maybe Maria. they'll hire a fish guy next. <laughs> I was half expecting fish guy to turn up this week because <laughs> of all the people that have been turning up this week. Right, and also because there were issues with the with the freezer. More issues with that freezer. At the bistro. There was a pencil stuck in the fan from a year and a half ago. <laughs> Maria meets Gary in the Rovers and tells her Laura will be hiring her own PI, an ex-copper. Gary apologises about what this may mean for her election bid and suggests taking Laura to one of those <clears throat> special Swiss clinics. Ooh-hoo. On Friday at the Rose Gold Flat, Laura has decided not to employ Lenny or any of his siblings and has arranged to meet a PI of her own, an ex-copper, she confirms. Gary is appalled and offers to go with just to keep an eye on the situation. So Laura and Gary meet this PI in the, in the, in the bistro. So Laura and Gary meet this PI in the bistro who knew plenty about Rick the Chin. He was well known within the police circles before he went missing. The PI is very interested in Gary's involvement in the conversation, especially when he learns that Gary was the last person to speak to Rick. Gary panics as he insists that he was just a go-between and didn't ask any questions about where Rick was or how the money was getting to him to give to Laura and Kelly, but he's forced to give Rick's mobile number to the PI to appease him. Mm-hmm. Back at the Rose Gold Flat, Kelly gets wind of Laura looking for Rick the Chin and throws a fucking fit. Yes. What a waste of the last few days of your life to chase after that prick and his dirty money, says Kelly. Right. And she begs her mum to drop it. She wants nothing to do with this. Yes. Gary thinks that's a great idea. But <laughs> Laura is too stubborn for it and maintains that that's what she's going to do right. to set up Kelly for the future. Yes. And that's as far as we get with that this week. I thought it was quite nice that the if this finally gets unearthed about Gary's involvement in the death of Rick the Chin in the 1970s. <laughs> that its catalyst is him attempting to do something nice. Right. Because of course it will. Because that's the kind of villain Gary is. <laughs> the but super just, villain. But just talking about the fact that there still has not been any resolution on the death of Rick the Chin. Right. Just like there's no, not been any resolution on the death of Rana. And yet we're talking about how this time last year, Asha and and Nina were still together. Mm-hmm. Seb hadn't even come into the picture, much less died on the street. Right. <laughs> it just, some storylines are, are here and done so quickly and other ones are dragging on for years. It just yeah, it seems inconsistent. Doing this, like bodies buried under Gail's annex for years until that all gets literally and figuratively dug up. Yeah, it's good at doing these sort of things, but... Is it, though? Well, when I say it's good, it does it often. Right. But is it good? Because you start to care less. And then there are other storylines that that you're starting to care about, and then they're done so quickly. Well, I think it's an attempt to eventually reward the longer-term viewer for... (laughs) <laughs> paying attention <laughs> or sticking with it <laughs> but it does put an awful lot of pressure on the the payoff has to be right almost spectacular for it to be worth right. the wait and honestly how spectacular can this payoff possibly be yeah not not great yeah, not too not too great I was a little uh, grateful though that the storyline kind of reminded us a little bit of what does Maria know about all this right and she seems to know all of it. Yeah. Or enough of it to know that Gary killed Rick the Chin. Yes. Because I, I couldn't remember if, if Gar- how much she knew. Sarah also knows that Gary killed Rick the Chin. Yeah. Let's, let's not forget. Yeah, because she told the police. 
Right. But she, that, she told the police. She told the police and nothing happened. <laughs> That's why we started with the I Killed Rick the Chin t-shirts, wasn't it? Because Gary could walk about with a t-shirt saying, I, I killed, killed Rick, Rick the, the Chin, and he still wouldn't get arrested. He could also, you know, shoot someone in broad daylight in the streets of Manhattan. and not get Now it's Donald Trump. <laughs> Same guy, isn't it? Same hair. <laughs> anyway, I do quite like this... Gary and Maria are the best parents on the street right now. Well, I think they're, they're so good probably with... one of the best couples on the street at the moment as, as well. well. Yeah. It's really working. There was a big gap when you weren't sure if there was still a thing or not. Right, and yeah. And then it came back and it clearly was still a thing. Right. They were really getting on and they've been calling each other babe an awful lot over the last few weeks. And they communicate well with one another and they joke with one another and they tease one another. See, this is it. When you're, They're very sweet with one another. When you're hatching plots, you have to involve your significant other. Right. Rather than try to keep things from them, get them on board. Right. And then you have somebody to talk to about it. And he seems genuinely interested in her, her, her political interests as well now. He does. He's being very supportive of her, helping he her make poster. the poster. You know, and apologizing to her that this whole Rick the Chin stuff might you know hamper her having a pi investigate stuff around them might hamper her and stuff maria talks to gary about letting laura move in instead of just doing it right i wonder where she's staying maybe she's in kelly's room i think yeah i think she's sharing a room with kelly because poor liam's like what the fuck is going on here well he would if we could see him right. <laughs> yeah i'm i'm quite enjoying this and i'm and i'm glad that the Rick stuff came up again and I'm glad that we got to see Lenny again because he's just such good value for money absolutely it's just a, the dumbest way to private investigate which I know is a trope and a stereotype right but right. It's, but he does it's it really funny. well because he doesn't do it in a slapsticky way you know no, he genuinely looks really really thick yeah <laughs> good job I really enjoyed that yeah. and this week that means a lot it does because now we're going to talk about Dear John. Oh, dear God. <laughs> On Sunday, at the Young Crew flat, and Tyrone, Craig and Faye are doing their best to be convincing as a couple as they argue over pancakes. When Emma leaves, they realise that they've been told bitches to Emma and resolve to make it up to her. It's funny that they're having pancakes on a Saturday, or on a Sunday, on a Sunday. instead of last Tuesday, right? which was pancake day right. in the UK. Yeah. What we call Fat Tuesday here. Shrove Tuesday to give it its official title, I mm. think. Emma heads off to meet John at the Rape Hotel. John's a laugher. He laughs. He laughs a lot. He laughs a lot at jokes. He laughs a lot mostly at his own jokes. He laughs a lot mostly about his own jokes about cocktail names. He's pretty annoying. It's cute, though. They're cute. Emma, though, seems to love his company until he announces that he's moving to Australia in a couple of weeks. Hmm... Thank fuck for that. No, well, hmm. Who else, who else that Emma is uh, associated with is in Australia? Hmm. Hmm. Is this how we say goodbye to Emma? Yeah, that's hmm. what I'm starting to think. Emma says that she, dead Ted. she used to live in Australia. And her mother's And her mother there. still lives there, which perhaps is her exit strategy. He wants to head to the Rovers, but she wants to stay. Anyone would think you were ashamed to see me. To be, to be seen, seen with, me. with me, he says, with a laugh. John makes more jokes about his looks. Emma tells him that he wants to, that she wants to take things slow after Curtis and all his lies. 
John promises not to lie to her and then starts laughing again at nothing. Ugh. <laughs> Back home, Craig and Faye are putting on a cocktail night for Emma to cheer her up and to say sorry for forcing her not to see that John. Yeah, thanks for that, says Emma. Cheers. And that's all that happens in that one. <sighs> yeah. How 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 are Faye and Craig still together? She's ruined his life. <laughs> is is the sex that good, Craig? Honestly. Because the relationship is <laughs> No. <laughs> people have broken up with other people for less on the street. Oh yeah. Yeah. And this relationship never made sense to begin with. No, this was a great way to nip it in the bud. Yes. That's what we were hoping for. <laughs> right. Instead they're making pancakes. Uh and Craig apparently doesn't understand that maple syrup goes on pancakes. Or was it Faye? You know what? I just don't even care. <laughs> it's great though because this is this is this is sapping season. You drive to you drive to Lansing, you see all the all the maple trees with, with little tubes. This is another to them. thing that I was surprised about when I moved here. Maple syrup comes from trees. Right. Maple trees, would you believe? I thought it was just coincidence. <laughs> I literally had no idea. Until you saw like buckets attached to trees. What's what's those buckets attached to those trees for? (laughs) To make maple syrup. Right. I was like... Your mind was blown. Well, blow me down. (laughs) Wait till I tell the folks back home. (laughs) You gotta see this. That's why it's so expensive to get the real thing. Yeah. So, Emma's... uh, Well, John's announcement before they're even gone out... Mm -hmm. Is that, started going out. Oh, by the way, in I'm a couple of weeks, a... I'm moving to Australia. But hey, let's still go out. <sighs> this feels rushed as fuck. Right. Well, it's it's because they need to figure out an exit strategy for Emma, which I guess doesn't involve going to prison mm-hmm. for murdering Ted. It would be hilarious if this turns out not to be the exit strategy because <laughs> it's so obvious, right, that that's what's going to happen. Right. Even if you didn't know that she was leaving which feels kind of spoilery but anyway we've said it a number of times now even if you didn't know you'd still think well that's a coincidence isn't it mm-hmm. that he's going to Australia where her, her mother lives. lives and they seem to be well the show's insistent that they're getting on really well yeah despite John being John she seems to like that sort of thing she seems to like it yeah and let's be honest he's better than Curtis oh, I liked Curtis until he had his baggage no, you didn't. You thought did. he was a damp squib. I thought... You thought he no, was no, a no. zombie. What I thought... Well, that was when they announced that he was dying. What I thought about Curtis was that he was far too good looking to be that bad with women. Was what I thought about. There was something fishy about him from the start. Right, but then he doesn't really have a personality outside of I'm dying. No, which isn't great. He was boring. We, we, we couldn't care about him. Right. And I don't care about John. No. He's not going to be on the show long enough for you to care about him. Hopefully not. Moving on then, our next story is Daisy's hypocrisy. On Monday at the Rovers, Daisy's showing off anti-spiking lids to Daniel and at that point I'm ready to switch the TV off. Yeah. Because wait a minute. It's like... Maybe Ryan would be interested in one of those, Daisy. What do you think? Well, there is that. But there's also, you know, we and... Multiple other people have been very critical of the show for kind of just glossing this whole storyline over right. with the spiking and the upskirting and everything. And this seems like 
the show thought about it for like five minutes, said, what, what can we do to prove that we actually do care about this? <laughs> and so they Googled remedies Vogel. to, to um, you know, to spiking drinks. How do bars help with spiky drinks? And they saw the thing with the lids. They're like, yeah, let's order a couple of them. And, oh, I don't know, have Daisy hand them out to people in places. Yeah, so Daisy showing off the anti-spiking list to Daniel. Aren't these great, says Daisy. I bet Ryan wished he had one of those that night. I got him drunk and sexually assaulted him. And she and Daniel laugh. Then in comes Amy, and Daisy can't help showing them off to her and gives her a few while Daniel looks on and says nothing. These are fantastic, says Amy. Let's put the onus on the victim to make sure that people don't spike drinks. Right, yeah. Daisy meets Daniel in the bistro. Daisy's passing out more of those spiking lids to Leanne. Daniel changes the subject and suggests the two of them go away for a holiday in the summer. And Daisy is surprised at the sudden sign of commitment. Right, yeah, because the summer's a ways off. Yeah. He's planning for the future. Well, it's like Daniel's just saying that to stop Daisy talking about anti-spiking lids, I think. Right, yeah. On Wednesday, Daisy and Daniel are chatting about which film to watch tonight. Paul appears and promises to stay at a mate's. Hi, Paul. Bye, Paul. Daniel will drop Bertie off at someone, whoever, it doesn't matter. Daisy will wangle the night off. Great stuff. But her phone's dead, so she borrows Daniel's, who has to give her the passcode so she can phone <sighs> Jenny. This will become important later. Yes. Daisy is out buying wine when she bumps to Nikki. Nikki's back. Hide your cardigans. <laughs> or at least clean them. And she's looking for Daniel. She's been to the flat and there's no answer. Daisy would love to help, but says that Daniel moved south a long, long time ago. And far away. Daniel gets home to find Daisy cooking, which gets Daniel hot under the collar. So they nip off to get their hole. And after the dinner, da Daisy asks how many girlfriends Daniel has had. And Daniel takes this as a criticism against his performance when apparently he'd pulled out all his best moves well there was Sinead Yikes. Bethany and a string of one night stands all of whom live in Canada who you don't know says Daniel she wants to know if she's special to him and he tells her that she's the best he's ever had and Sinead spins in her grave while blood runs down the walls <laughs> sorry ghost of Sinead Daisy and Daniel descend on the rovers although I believe it I believe Daisy is better than at sex than Sinead is Bethany's ears prick up in London and then yeah that's fine yeah I believe she's better than Bethany as well <laughs> he leaves his phone on the bar as he nips off for a shite as a call comes in from Nikki which goes to voicemail that Daisy promptly deletes on Friday in the pub Daniel and Daisy are chatting about holidays Daisy wants to go somewhere fancy with Wi-Fi and hair straighteners Bertie loves camping says Daniel apropos of nothing camping with Auntie Beth presumably or that one time that they said that they were going to Scotland and just camped out on the Manchester moors. <laughs> right, but initially Daniel wants to take her someplace really, really fancy and Marrakesh. expensive. Marrakesh. He wants to take her to Morocco. Yes. Which is pricey. Is it? Especially this time of year. Yeah. Morocco's famously expensive in March and April. <laughs> at school, Nikki walks into Daniel's classroom. She's a new teaching assistant at the school and has moved back. I wonder what the school's background checks look like. Are, are we shaming sex workers I now? Think, I think we are a little bit. Sadly, I think they would probably would think twice about. Yeah, they've they've. Although it's probably not on their resume, so they fired teachers for having OnlyFans accounts. So yeah, I can imagine that. Mm -hmm. She thought Daniel had moved away, but then the bell rings, so they arranged to meet later after work to have a, a little chat and a catch up. Chit chat. And the rovers, Daniel introduces Nikki to his girlfriend, Daisy. We've met, says Nikki. Daisy told me you'd moved away, she says. Did I say away? asks Daisy. No matter, says Daniel, and they grab a booth. Nikki telling Daniel that she wants her usual, and this seems to wind Daisy right up. Yes. 
So Daniel and Nikki sit in a booth and definitely don't talk about sex cardigans while Daisy looks on jealously, admitting to Jenny that she's done her best to scupper this early doors and has been caught out by Nikki. What a bitch. For just existing. Yeah. Later, Nikki asks for Daniel's number as she's leaving and is surprised when it's the same number that she called yesterday when she left a voicemail. Daniel shoots Daisy a filthy look and then he and Nikki leave. Daisy gets back to the flat and she and Daniel argue about Nikki. Daniel calls it the past and thinks Daisy has no right to delete his messages. Daisy denies all knowledge of that but reckons that she has every right not to trust Daniel. He points out that they met where she worked and rather than admit to being jealous, she had to play her stupid games. We need to trust each other, she says. Fine, she says. Good, he says, because Nikki is now working at the school. Right. And that's as far as we get with that. <sighs> Nikki's back. Nikki's back. I quite like Nikki. Yeah, Nikki was good. I mean, I questioned her motives a little bit, but... Right. Still. And it seems like she's she has actually gone and made something of herself. She was setting up a tea room with her mum or something, wasn't she? Yeah, and they mentioned that. And it didn't work out. Didn't work out. She, she was bored out of her tits. So she came back to Manchester. Yeah. To be a teaching assistant. For all the excitement that teaching assistant brings. Which is unfortunately a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, a bit. <laughs> and you don't get paid as well as a teacher. Daisy, which also isn't a lot. Daisy seems to have quite a few trust issues. Yes, she does. Here and everywhere, really. I think she had them a bit with Ryan as well. With what Ryan's thoughts were on Alia. She's, well, she seems to be quite... Quite damaged. Yeah. Well, we knew that. There's further proof of it. Yes. Because an, an awful lot of the stuff that she's doing is it's kind of awful, really, isn't it? Deleting messages. Deleting messages, particularly telling somebody that someone's moved away. is like, well, who the fuck are you? Right. But And it was an actively, innocuous message. It wasn't even... But, you know, she's just gotten him back from Lydia. They've had a heck of a time just getting together. Mm-hmm. So I can kind of understand it, but it isn't great. No. It makes me wonder what has gone on in her past. Further details of that. Yeah, because when we met her, she was going off to get... She was on the way to get married or something. Yeah, she was she? engaged to that first guy and then it didn't work guy out. Guy with a boat. Yeah. Did you have a boat? I think so. Something like that. Either that or the guy that he she was trying to hook Jenny up with had a boat. But even the way that she treats Jenny and she treated Jenny and Johnny showed that she had issues with commitment and long-term relationships and not and, just her own just yeah. seeing it in other people was enough right. to make her want to destroy it right yeah that's what i was saying so but then she was determined to try and set her up with somebody so with there other was, people so there was a there was a break off but uh, i don't know that it's is it only relationships that she sanctioned that she believes in it's a very or, strange... Or relationships that she knows aren't going to be long-term. Because she knew that Jenny and Ronnie were never going to be a long-term thing. Right. Basically, that was there just to get Johnny out of the picture. Right. But she seems to have cooled her jets a bit with the Cinco Leo character. Yeah, she seems fine with Cinco Leo because she probably thinks that this isn't going to last a long time. We haven't seen Leo in a while. We haven't. Remember when it seemed like things were coming to a head and we were going to discover... Something horrible about him because he had those horrible roommates and then nothing happened. Those roommates were just, they were just the worst. Oh, they were the worst. Let's move on to mm. Bailey's family portrait. On Monday, the Bailey's head is confused because family photos are missing from the frames. Michael explains that he needs to take copies for Glory's first day at nursery and he gets snippy with Ed when he offers to help. 
The Baileys are are back in a storyline that have nothing to do with racism. Other overs, Beth has had a look at Michael's pictures. He seems a bit defensive that there are photos of Grace in there, but Beth doesn't think it's odd at all. She might have been a rubbish mum, but she was still Glory's mum. Michael wishes his family would see it as simply as that. Yeah, Beth is actually good this week. Yeah, she doesn't snipe at anybody. Right, no. In the morning, Aggie's got a wee present for Glory's first day at nursery, but is shocked and appalled to see that Michael intends to take in pictures of Grace. She can't stand for this. It'll just cause questions in future, she tells Ed, so she takes the photos out because this one-year-old is going to look at a photograph of Grace and suddenly have questions about her mum. Right, yeah. It's not like... Yeah, she's not 13. Right. She tells Ed to speak with Michael, but remember not to tell him the truth about the blackmail and stuff. Later, Ed tries to have that talk with Michael, insisting to him that showing pictures of Grace will only be confusing to Glory, as Grace is never coming back again because Aggie can feel it in her water. Fair enough. On Wednesday at home, Michael is voggling <clears throat> Mr. Osborne as a fanny. No, he's looking for Grace, thinking that she'd want to be there for Glory's first birthday party. He mentions to Aggie how he's trying to find her and invite her, and Aggie thinks that Grace blew any chance that she had to be involved, but Michael sticks to his guns. Hours later, and Michael has discovered that Grace's number is dead and she has no social media. Well, that was a search and a half, wasn't it? Facebook.com. Search for Grace Vickers. Nobody? Okay, I'm all out of ideas. Well, it seems like he's searched other places as well in yeah, the meantime. Twitter. And Instagram. But still, in this day and age, it is kind of a red flag. Although he does mention this thing, and again... Which seems like a very Gen Z thing. The fact that people, are, that there's a pushback against social media and not wanting to be on social media and everything, which is a thing. Because that, of fake news. Because Well, yeah, he says because of fake news, but I don't think that's why the kids aren't doing it and are more involved with like typewriters and Game Boys. <laughs> and iPods and apartment. Game Cubes. Hours later, Michael has just, well, just said that. Ed suggests maybe she doesn't want to be found. On Friday in the Bailey house, Michael's on the phone desperately looking for a pen. Aggie and Ed are confused, with Aggie hoping it's got nothing to do with Grace. Ed thinks it's partly stuff for Glory, but it's something work-related, so that's fun. Ed and Ronnie drop into the beach to discuss flipping houses together, but Ed is too interested in Glory's birthday party. Ed wants to get a clown, or a puppet show. Ronnie points out that Glory is one and unaware of any of this. Puppet, right. puppet show then, says Ed. Ronnie doesn't think they have room at his place, so offers to splash out, not like that, on the bistro. Ed invites Nick and Sam, and then Mary invites herself. Because of course she does. So Mary catches up with Michael on the street, asking if what she would should get Glory for her birthday. Michael is confused and says, Ed, you don't have to get her anything, Mary. But Mary says that she was brought up never going to a party empty-handed. Party, says Michael. So Michael goes to see Ed and tells him that inviting strangers to Glory's party isn't exactly what he had in mind. Is Mary a stranger? They've lived on the street for like three years now. Mary's not a stranger. He'd prefer Grace was there than all the neighbours. So Ed agrees, backs off and restricts it to a family affair. And that's all that happens on that. Do they know what to do with the Baileys yet? They get a lot of mileage out of the Baileys this week. I think I think they use Aggie very well in another storyline. Mm-hmm. I don't think they use her very well in this storyline. Because Beth is right. Yeah. Which I don't get to say very often. Right. You know, it's it's Michael's decision and she's she's not old enough to really care at this point. So it's fine to put them out now, you but, know, and she's going to ask later on. But what it does is it kind of negates the point of paying her off to invite her back. 
Right, but, but that's Michael a problem. doesn't... That was a, right, that was a problem with their plan, not right. a problem Michael with anything doesn't else. Know. Yeah, that was just, just stupid. And then we see James very, very briefly. Mm-hmm. He's not gay. Oh, no, he is gay. He is gay. I, I think... I'm glad. I'm just glad race didn't come up at all in the storyline. Grace, no race. Yeah. There we go. That should have been the title for that story. Oh well. But uh, <laughs> you think Grace is coming back? They've mentioned her a bit too often for it for her not to. I think I, I kind of expect. I to don't see know her. the fact that. The fact that she has no social media, although she could have changed her name, although Facebook doesn't like you putting in fake names. Um, the fact, yeah, the fact that she has no social media and her phone's off and everything. I don't think she needs any of that to remember that it's her daughter's birthday, though. Right. It kind of makes me think that they're going to find out something horrible. Oh. Yeah, maybe. That she's dead. Well, that would be handy. Another dead mother. Yay, dead mothers of America, or the, the Weatherfield Unite. Right. A much smaller contingent. Yes. No, I I think they've mentioned her too much. I think something has to happen one way or the other about it, but she definitely knows it's her daughter's birthday and she knows where her daughter is. So right. she doesn't need any social media or, or an invite from Michael no, to know true. where to go and when. Right. So maybe that'll be the if big reveal. If she wanted to reach out, she would. That might be the big reveal. On uh, Glory's birthday. That she sneaks in. Yeah. Or oh, the well. police come and say, did you murder Grace Vickers? Grace Vickers with the green and white knickers? <laughs> Isn't that her last name, Vickers? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our last storyline this morning. Ugh. And that's the big one. Ugh. This is Camper Van Kevhoven. If only. <laughs> if only it was that delightful still. This storyline does have my favourite joke in it. So let's see if you can point. Like what that is. It's not enough to save it though. Oh god no. Because this is But it's given me something to look forward to as I'm reading through this. Ridiculous. It's giving me something to look forward Flush to. Flush it down the toilet because it's shit. As I'm reading through this shit. Shit, shit, shit. I thought the Lydia stuff was shit. I thought the drugging Amy stuff was shit. Oh. This is Oh well that was shit in a different way. Yes. This is this is the shittiest shit of all shit, and I'm just so tired of the kind of trauma porny way that they write Abby's storyline. Trauma porn. You heard it here first, maybe. On Sunday, Abby wakes up to her alarm reminding her that it's Seb's birthday. She's in a bit of bad shape after all the drugs and stuff from last night, holding her back from lying with her head off the couch. She gets a visit from Eileen, who didn't need an alarm to remind her that it was Seb's birthday. So Eileen and Abby misremember nice things about Seb as a card comes in from Anna, and Eileen remembers to mention Nicola too. Eileen, see, this is why I thought that this was a great week for Fish Guy. Mm. Eileen leaves, reminding Abby that Kev's done some shady shit in the past himself. Thank you, Eileen. Abby is straight on the phone to her dealer. So Abby meets her dealer, Dean, in the ginnel. He has coke, but she wants something stronger. Too bad, says Dean, who has a jaunty body warmer, just like all the good drug dealers, and then head into Kev's to get wasted on Dean's coke. He's about to chop a line on a photo of Jack and Kev, but Abby stops him and hands him a proper chopping board. Meanwhile, we see Camper Van Kevhoven arrive back on the street. Hmm. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, dun, dun, dun. everyone says, here comes Kev. <laughs> oh, Lord, he coming. <laughs> Hopper! Later, the cocaine has put Abby in a sleepy sort of mood. Cocaine's funny like that. Until Dean <laughs> wakes up the party with some bubbles. Not those sort of bubbles. 
Actual bubbles. Cocaine. Notorious for putting people to sleep. Right. Oof. That's making me drowsy. They look like they're about to smooch. If only this was the if only this was the only problem with the storyline. They look like they're about to smooch until Abby tells them to fuck off. Dean realizes that Abby works at the garage across the street and mentions a fancy looking sports car. Never mind that, says Abby. Get another line chopped. And rather than go home, Kev goes to see Debbie, who has apparently warned him about Abby being in a bad way. He's back to talk to her, hear what she has to say before he dumps her. What you doing here then? Debbie asks. It sounds like Kev knows it's not going to make much difference. Deep down, he knows it's all fucked. Later, Abby's keen for more drugs, but seems to be still in a bit of pain. Dean gives her a massage, and it looks like they're getting ready for her hole when Kev bursts Right, in. yeah, they... <laughs> They do the dumb joke where somebody's getting a massage in the oh, other room and making oh, noises. And the person the on the other side thinks that they're having sex. Mm-hmm. Ha, 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 What the flaming X going on here? Says Kev. And he throws Dean out and tells Abby that he came back to fix things. But fuck that now. Abby starts to tidy up, but Kev tells her not to worry. And then he spots that Dean was chopping lines on the photo after all. You knew what you were getting, she tells him. She says that she's sorry and she still loves him and Jack. Uh, and she promises she'll clean herself up. But Kev's done. Pack your shit and go. So Kev leaves and Dean comes back in and they get wired into the drugs again. Abby's still in a bit of a pain. No, Abby's still in a bit of pain. Again, that cocaine doesn't really dull anything, does it? Mm. So she goes off for a shite, which allows Dean to steal the keys to the garage from the sideboard. So when Abby's done... Dean's gone, and then Abby hears the roar of a car engine outside. Dean's stolen the wee Nissan sports car that he mentioned earlier. Abby jumps in, demanding the keys as Dean floors the car and drives off with a pair of them. And he's driven up to the moors as Abby looks like death and begs him to stop. He looks temporarily worried that she's ODing. And when he eventually stops and Abby gets out, she's begging to be taken to the hospital, but Dean doesn't want to get involved, so drives off leaving Abby crouching down in the middle of the road, in the middle of nowhere. Right. She gets out her phone and she dials 999 before she runs out of battery and she's only able to say that she's having a baby. On Monday, this is this is the, the first scene during the new uh, time slot. So we're celebrating the new 8 o'clock time slot with Abby still out in the middle of nowhere, doubled up as cars ignore her as they pass by. And then her waters break. Right down our grey tracky bottoms. They were jeans. Were the jeans? Yeah. I thought tracky bottoms. No. Not that it matters. Yeah. This I, story is so fucking ridiculous. Well, I, I know it happens. Right. I don't know if I want to see it. Mm. It's it's not the worst thing in the storyline that you have to look at, though. No, it's not. It's really not. It's so innocuous. My water broke only once with Nick because the other two were c-sections mm-hmm. and my water broke in the elevator of the hospital oh yeah. handy so thank you to the janitors at, at day kibble hospital for cleaning that up for me the only uh, experience i've had i haven't had any experience of it but the only experience i've had of being somewhere close to that happening was my ex-wife's sister whose uh waters broke in the kitchen of her mum's house mm-hmm. and her other sister slipped and fell in it <laughs> Oh, how you laughed. It's just... Oh. Anyway. Meanwhile, Kev is at the bistro explaining the extent of the situation to Debbie. The booze, the drugs, the cheating. He feels like such a fool and she's been she's betrayed him and Jack. He asks her to look after Jack for a few days while he goes off in camp of Van Kevhoven to clear his head. And Debbie, 
who's well aware of the sins of her brother, is is like all up in arms that Abby would deign to cheat on Kev, who has done so much for her and is so much better than her and everything else. And it's just like, Debbie, do you hear yourself? It's one thing to be supportive of your brother. It's another thing to just completely skate over what a dick he's been to women his whole life. Abby finally manages to wave down a car and despite her reeking of booze and looking like she's pissed herself, he takes her to hospital. The driver dumps Abby at the hospital. Bloody hell, says a nurse. You're in labour and you smell like Christian Slater. Abby has to... <laughs> poor Christian Slater. Abby has to admit... What has Christian Slater ever done to you? I don't know. We don't have time. Got a lot to get through. Abby has to admit to being on the body and coke as she's spoken to by a nurse but gives a false name insisting that she didn't know she was pregnant as she had a period last month but she reckons that she's and six months gone because that's when she last got her hole off of Imran. And she must have been having her periods consistently and they must have been happening around the same time that she typically has her period because those typically happen around the same time every month. So this isn't just, oh, you've been spotting and that's why, you know, spotting is different than a period this woman in her late 30s who's given birth at least twice before would know the difference between spotting and having a period for six long months and not showing at all after six months and not having any symptoms of being pregnant for six months. Well, she had a bit of a sore back the day before. Yeah, yeah, the day before. But for six months now, you know, she felt a little queasy at the beginning when yeah, she thought she was pregnant. Yeah, but yesterday she had a sore back. You pay attention. So fucking stupid Later Abby does a bunch of pushing But she's hung over now and can't be arsed But finally Abby gives birth and the baby boy is whisked away Abby worries that something's wrong because he doesn't cry But then he does And then she does Although it sounds like it might be twins And of course again. And of course there's something wrong Because the baby's only Six months Six months right. Baked Tyrone bursts into the rovers, asking if anyone saw anything suspicious at the garage because the place is sitting open and a sports car has been stolen, but no one's seen nothing and no one has a clue where Abby is. Meanwhile, the baby is taken to intensive care. He's having trouble breathing and is very premature. The nurse Be- promises to come back with the doctor for an important chat. But when the nurse and doctor get back, Abby has fucked off. She gets home in the darkness and curls up on the couch after cycling home from Weatherfield General. It's been a busy old day for Abby, hasn't it? Abby's day. Uh, so much going on. She was drunk and she was on drugs and she was in the middle of nowhere and, and she, she had, had a, a baby. baby. She didn't know that this that she was pregnant with. Found out she was pregnant. Even though she had a baby later that day. Not showing at all at six months. Sure. Fine. She woke up with a sore back, no, remember? No symptoms whatsoever. So Debbie comes in later and sees the places in a tip. She gives Abby a hard time, but Abby isn't in the mood, so ignores her. Debbie tells Abby to get her shit together and get to fuck pronto, and Abby goes back to sleep. At the hospital, Aggie speaks with her chatterbox colleague about the abandoned baby from last night. Aggie must have been promoted to the head of DNA tests and CCTV images being released to the press because she explains that they haven't ruled out DNA tests, but will be releasing CCTV images to the press. Tyrone catches Abby on the street, demanding to know what happened to the grey Nissan yesterday. Abby doesn't care, not even when Tyrone points out that someone used the keys to get in. This could spell the end for Webster's autos, and he accuses her of stealing it. Think what you want, says Abby, and she goes inside. And then she gets wired into a smashing big bottle of generic vodka. On Wednesday, on the morning stroll, Ed sees Tyrone and is reminded of the set-to that he had with Abby the other day. 
and Ed is quick to bring his wife up to speed. Well, Ed quick. She worries that Abby hasn't been herself lately. Ed calls her broody, which is a strange adjective to use. Aggie goes to see how Abby is doing. But Abby is in Dev's shoplifting sanitary products when she hears Dev and Toya and their Does man. Does she not have any money? She's got the money for the drugs, discussing the terrible affair of the abandoned baby. Toya especially feels it and wishes that she and Imran had had Elsie in earlier in their lives to save her from all her trauma. So Aggie now goes to see Abby who has sanitary towels falling out of her jacket. Abby, Aggie then spots the red hoodie that's on the CCTV and puts two and two together. You're the abandoned baby's mother. Abby tries to deny it but Aggie won't be fooled and tells her her son is fighting for her life. His, his life. life right now. Abby wants nothing to do with the baby. Aggie tells her to face up to her responsibilities to her and Kev's baby. Yeah, about that, says Abby. It it's, ain't Kev's. It's Aggie's duty to report this to social services, does she any, says, and she leaves. Does anybody really truly believe that Abby and Kev, who got married within these six, last six months and went on honeymoon within these last six months, never had sex and she yet said, the relationship was fine? She said that she hadn't been in the mood, but I don't know if she said that for the entire period. Right, yeah. No pun intended. The whole thing is ridiculous and unbelievable. At home, Abby gets, Aggie gets on the phone to social services and totally grasses Abby up. Which is the right thing to do. Then Ty goes to see Abby about the stolen car, but Abby doesn't know anything about it and doesn't give a fuck anyway. Tyrone thanks her for her time and invites her to get back on the muck forthwith, apologising for any interruption. Then Abby sees a flashy <sighs> beamer pull up at the garage and gets on the phone to Dean about it. Abby goes to a lock-up round the corner and sends Dean to get the BMW. She thinks he's away and she calls the police to report the first car stolen, which is in the lock-up. But then Dean comes back and wrestles her into the lock-up, where she passes out and collapses on the floor. When Abby comes round, she finds that Dean's gone. He's locked her in the lock-up and to make matters worse, she's bleeding out of her fanny and into those grey jeans now. So she finds the car keys and the wheel arch. I don't think they're the same jeans. <laughs> So she finds the car keys in the wheel arch and drives the car through the lock-up door and into a skip, knocking herself out for the second time in as many minutes. Tyrone is fixing a car, about to burst with gossip, which attracts Debbie, Imran and Toya, and so he releases his suspicions of Abby's involvement in the stolen car, and now she's back on the muck, probably. We can't give up on her, says Toya. Whatever, says Debbie. And all of them ignore the sound of a car crashing into a skip just round the corner. Between between all the drugs and all the head injuries Abby's had since <laughs> joining the show, it's a wonder she can walk and talk anymore. Right. So Toya calls Abby, but gets the policeman at the scene of the accident from the stolen car thing. So at the hospital, Toya speaks with Dr. Exposition, who carefully explains that Abby is in surgery after coming in with placenta fragment retention and the start of septicemia. Her blood pressure is 120 over 75, her blood oxygen level is in the low 90s, and those grey jeans are going to need a boil wash. What? Says Toya. That was a, that was a joke. Right. Then Aggie appears like a movie villain and confirms that Abby has had a baby and Dr. Exposition vanishes in a puff of exposition. Right. And Aggie rightly points out to Dr. Exposition that he shouldn't have said all of that to right. Toya. Toya goes to see Abby in the ward. She just wants to help. Abby doesn't think Toya is capable. She explains that this is the result of a one night stand with Tez who is now in prison. So he's not going to be interested in this. And she tells Toya to fuck off home. So Toya does fuck off, but she comes back with baby blue booties and suggests that they both go and see her son. Consider keeping the baby, but this is the third kid Abby will have given up, so she knows what she's doing. Toya thinks She didn't this... really give up Seb, did she? No, but she gave up on the twins. Remember the twins? Right, there are two of them, aren't there? That tends to happen with twins, yeah. So this will be the third baby she's given up. Which is what I said. Yeah. 
it kind of the way you said it sounded like she'd already given up three so she's really talented at doing it this so is a third I kid Abby will have given up yeah I so I heard I think, it I think it's pretty clear I heard it wrong I apologize Toy thinks this is a chance to do things right but Abby says that she's a junkie and Kev's left her the kid is better off without her Toya says all the kid needs is his mum to love her and all she needs <sighs> is the strength to face being it so Toya who <laughs> let's remember at Dev's was saying that she wished that Elsie had been taken away from her mom sooner so that she wouldn't have experienced all that trauma. All the trauma. All the trauma. A few hours later is bullying Abby into taking, into keeping her child who she recognizes and is self-aware enough to say, I am not good for this kid. Right. This kid is better off without me. Right. I, I can't be there for this kid. Right. And yet Toy is like, no, you absolutely have to keep it because that's the right thing to do. Because you're not Elsie's mom. Right. Or Kelly's mom. Or, or my sister. <laughs> Tell us how you feel. No. This is fucking awful. Abby changes her mind and agrees to meet her son. She wants to do it on her own, so Toya leaves because she has to because of plot, but she's immediately replaced by a social worker who wants a quick word. Toya finally gets home to Imran and giggling Elsie. She's really appreciative of what she's got and asks him to promise that nothing changes and they always stay this happy. Ugh. Imran agrees and clutches his collar just a little bit. Mm. And clutches his buttocks. <laughs> Back at the hospital. The social worker explains that because she's an awful junkie and abandoned the baby and crashed a stolen car, it's going to be a long and hard road before she and the baby could ever be together and it might never happen. Right. Abby, who didn't want anything to do with the kid five seconds ago, doesn't think this is fair and will do whatever it takes to make this right. Chinny Recon says the social worker, Chinny Recon, she's going to need to get into rehab and get support from the father before this goes to court. Which is fucking awful. Right. They can't possibly say these things to women in situations like this. That if you want to keep this baby, you have to get the father involved. Because so many of these situations, not Abby's situation, mm-hmm. although Kev is an emotional abuser. He's not a physical abuser, which sometimes can be worse. But anyway, um, these are these women that are in the situation because the father was abusive to them or is out of the picture or is horrible. And yet, no, no, if you have, if you're. I think we can all fill you, in the blanks if, there. If you, if you want to keep this baby, you have to be in a heteronormative relationship with whoever impregnated you and stick to it no matter how awful he is well, because a baby needs a mother and a father to be what? fair is this the 1980s to be fair you're you're reading certainties and a conversation which is all very speculative nobody's saying that you have to get the father involved in this no what the social you- worker was saying was it might be better for the judge when this goes to court if there's a father involved Right, That's which is basically saying. the same thing. It's not basically the same thing at all. It's because it's, nobody's prescripting that this has to happen. Right. But they're saying it might appear better. Right, yeah. But maybe the, it, maybe it would appear better the if fact, there was like a family unit. The fact that, you know, that she's saying it will appear better to the judge. No, not that it will appear better, that it might appear better. There's speculation in here, Helen, that you're refusing to acknowledge. Abby asked the question, how can I keep this kid? She answers, get into rehab and get the father involved. And you might be able to keep it the kid. It might help. It might right. help if you get the father involved. There's a, and, and maybe it might. There's a better way to word that, though. If Get the family, get your family None involved. of this matters anyway, because Abby says, fuck it, I don't want the baby anymore. Right, yeah. That I wanted five seconds ago, and then ten seconds ago, I didn't want it. <sighs> right. On Friday, Abby's had another rough night and wakes up to a knock uh. at the door. 
She grumbles as she goes to answer, thinking it's Debbie, but it's the fuzz. Abby seems to have spoken to the cops and has escorted them out just as Debbie clops by, likening herself to knits. Unshiftable. <laughs> Debbie. Abby says she just gave a witness statement and slams the door in Debbie's face. All of this is seen by Toya. Nets, shouts Debbie. <laughs> Inside, Abby dings a call from Chloe at social services and instead gets a Rolodex out for Lee. Dot, 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 stuff. Abby has 15 contacts on her phone. Six of them begin with an L and one of them is Chloe from social services. And none of them is a regular character on the show. Anyway, she phones Lee and asks to score more gear, as I believe the youngsters were saying in the 1980s. <sighs> Back home, Toya leaves a message with Abby, while Imran and a giggling Elsie are playing. Wasn't Abby in the hospital last night? She was, and she must have left again. And and gotten gear. Again. And more vodka. After she left the hospital. Yes. Uh, He's arranged to go for dinner before a meeting with the Bessie Street nursery thing later. Toya agrees, then says that she has someone she has to check on. It's her next client. Who so Elsie her. and Grace will be in nursery together. Yeah. So Aww. cute. Meanwhile, Abby meets up with Lee and buys more gear. When she heads home, she sees Chloe banging at her door, so she runs away. And this last bit is seen by Toya. Back home, Abby is getting through the aluminum foil, which she tries to hide when Toya comes in through the back door. <clears throat> Not like that. Toya's confused that Abby is out and is more so when she finds <sighs> out that Abby didn't see her baby because the social said that she has no chance of keeping it. And then Toya sees the foil and then the social start banging on the door again. Toya lets Chloe in and it turns out that they don't want to speak to her about her drugs or, or, or drinking or, whatever. or the stolen car or whatever. It turns out that Abby's baby is super sick at the hospital. Because not, it's only... <laughs> I'm not sure why the social did that instead of the hospital, but whatever. Right. So at the hospital, Abby and Toya learn that the baby has a bowel complaint and may need an operation. Because the bowel's not fully formed yet. Later, Abby asks Toya if she still has that wrap. I don't think she's talking about a chicken ranch neither. Toya's already thrown it away and Abby is remorseful about her plans. She worries that getting out of her tits is the cause of the baby being ill. But Toya insists no and points out that this is the same thing that Bertie had. Bertie, whose mother had cancer and had chemo. But no matter. That's Abby clean for good again. Again. For now. Abby goes to see her baby in his wee incubator and says hello <sighs> and introduces herself. Nice to meet you, says Abby. The pleasure's all mine, says the baby. Who is a blurry doll. <laughs> the nurse comes along to explain the baby needs the machinery but also needs Abby. She suggests that Abby reaches in to cup the baby and maybe try express some milk later. Meanwhile, Toya speaks to Imran and apologises for being held up with that old client that she had. So Abby goes out to see Toya, upset that her milk is going to be loopy juice thanks to knocking back all that muck the other day. My past is like a hair shirt, says Abby. Well, stop putting it back on again, says everybody. Right. Toya. And she can just pump and dump. It's not that big of a deal. Because that's what that's what mums do when, you know, they want to go out with their friends and have a glass of wine. Pump and dump. That's on the poster now. You pump and then you put your, your uh, milk in the fridge <laughs> and then you go and you have your glass of wine. There's plenty of milk in the fridge for the baby. And then the next morning you pump the milk out and then you just dump it because it's not good for the baby because it's got wine in it yeah. and then you're fine yeah if there ever, ever was a phrase that adequately explained the process to me it was pump and dump but thanks for going through you're welcome we've got a lot to get through <laughs> we're almost done toya's kind of disgusted and tells her it's high time to take some responsibility for her actions either step the fuck up or fuck the fuck off Abby admits that all she can think about is digging her drugs out of the trash and if social took the baby away she wouldn't blame them Toya goes off to speak to the nurses about Abby's milk 
And she comes back out and apparently Abby's milk is fine, so long as she stays off the muck from now on. Abby doesn't know what she would have done without Toya, but sends her home when Imran calls again. I don't know why they don't use the term pump and dump. Toya gets home to find Imran, <laughs> nor do I now. Toya gets home to find Imran upset that they missed their appointment at Bessie Street, but he's rearranged it and points out that Elsie is a responsibility now, not anonymous former clients. Plus, when was the last time you were in the factory? You can't screw this up. <laughs> but I love you, Toya, says Imran. We all love you, Imran, says everybody. Please don't leave the show. Back at the hospital, Aggie apologises to Abby for grassing her up, but Abby has been off the muck for half an hour now and is far more reasonable than before. She ignores Aggie asking questions about the dad and announces the baby as Alfie, which means no fucking chance in Latin. Suits him, says Aggie. Abby will fight to keep that baby because it's my baby. And that is how we end this week's episodes. Yes. She named the baby Alfie because she had just oh. gone to see the Batman that we past weekend. And so was inspired by Andy Serkis's inspired oh, depiction was, oh, of the character. I wasn't taken by it. Really? Yeah. I loved it. I don't like Andy Serkis unless he has dots on him. <laughs> That's my official stance and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> if he doesn't have green dots on him, you can get to fuck. Well, maybe that's the joke of the episode. <laughs> it's also true. We didn't have a hard debate this week, did we? We didn't. Because it was all pish. I couldn't... I either, was there's nothing trying. to make fun of. I was trying. There was plenty to make fun of, but I just couldn't think of things that had options. <laughs> so I didn't bother. And I'd already done the jokey one the week before, so I wasn't going to do that again. Right. Poor Andy Circus. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think we are... We're deliberately not letting Toya see this baby despite the fact that Toya's been everywhere with Abby she never gets to see the baby and she never tells Imran where she is and I'm not sure why she wouldn't tell Imran where she is because she's mentioned having such a I think a, a, I think yeah, there was that bit where Imran says you need to step away from I this think it's I think it's for Abby's privacy because the only two people on the street that know that the mystery woman was Abby is Aggie and Toya. That's it. Mm. Nobody else knows. And the social. And she's keep... Well, the social's not a member of the street, is she? Well, Chloe's got a name and she's on Abby's phone. <laughs> Under C. She's anyway. a 14th contact on that phone. Anyway, you know, I mean... So unfortunately... But, but at this point, because the baby is, is premature and because it's in the incubator, the colour of its skin is going to be blotchy and reddish yeah. more than and pink more than anything. I thought they mentioned it was jaundiced. I, I, maybe so I, it's a little yellow may, as well. Maybe I made that up. But. They did. They mentioned, because most babies, most preemies are jaundiced. Right. All three of mine were. Stelly less than the, than the boys because Stelly. But um, yeah, and the whole bowel thing, I mean, Benny was only a month and a half early and he was as toty as this, they, they're depicting the six-month-old. Yeah. I'm, and, you know, it took forever for him to pass his first poop. So the whole bowel thing, even for babies with fully developed bowels, can be difficult. But the fact that they're trying to convince us that Abby was pregnant for six months and didn't know it and was having periods consistently those six months and was not showing and yet had a baby... You know, and didn't realize she was pregnant until she was having the baby. It's one thing when this happens on, you know, that reality show on MTV about people having babies that are basically teenagers or women in their 20s who've never experienced childbirth before. It's another thing to try to convince us that this woman who has had, yeah. we had given birth twice. We've got Sarah Lou, who's with 12, 13. Right. And was five months pregnant before 
anyone realised before even she realised. Right. That wasn't a, a surprise at all. This is a surprise. Yeah. And I'm also surprised that it's been six months since she and Imran hooked up. When was that then? Right after Seb died. Or, it wasn't right no, after. No, it wasn't. It, it was, was, yeah. And the fact that they're trying to convince us that she and Kev haven't had sex in six months. Ever. It's, it's like, we've we've seen them kind of doing the whole like canoodling thing and then they go up the stairs and and the, the camera pans away and a, a curtain flutters <laughs> in the wind. Right. And then it's the next day. And then there's a soft jazz comes <laughs> Right. So, I mean... Hot steam comes up. It, it, it feels like, it feels like if they got married and then never had sex for six months that... There would be cracks in their relationship well before yeah. we saw cracks in their relationship because mm-hmm. we're talking about Kev here. And, yeah. I, you know, there's so many things that are totally unbelievable in the storyline that it's just, I rolled my eyes throughout the whole thing because none of it's believable. None of it. No. And, and I'm not knocking... Sally Carmen's performance here because no, she's, she's, it's not her she's fault. Working well with, with what she's got, but what she's got is dreadful. And I, and I, I said this last time that we talked about it, and I still feel the same way. And actually, actually, I think I feel I feel more so now that it's boring. Yeah, that Abby on and off drugs. Yeah. four or five times in the, the space of a, a week. People telling her to face up to responsibilities, her slamming doors in people's faces, right. getting drunk and then getting high again, right. and then stealing a car and, and all that shit. It's just like, well, she's not even the one who stole the car. She I, tried to get the car back, I, and nobody's ever going to believe her about that. I can't believe that all this stuff is so dull, but it it really is. It's just they hammer us with it so much, you know, which is why I'm calling it trauma porn because it's just like one thing after another. It's bad enough that she was left along the side of the road in the middle of the woods mm-hmm. and couldn't get anybody except for that one guy to pull over and take her to hospital. Her phone has to die in the middle of the woods. Yep. And then that idiot Dean or Dylan or whatever his name is Dean. steals the car. Right. And she gets into the car with him instead of calling the police immediately right then and there when he drives off with the car. And then when she finds the car, he finds her and knocks her out. Like I said, so many head injuries for Abby. And then she finds the keys to the car I somehow. She just passed out. But either way, like she was unconscious. Right. Yeah. They were, they were wrestling there for a little bit. And then she, whatever. Regardless. And then she pulls, you know, she drives out, knocks the doors open, and then immediately runs into that dumpster that seems to be following the cars of Coronation (laughs) Street around, because I'm sure it's the same dumpster that David knocked into, and that Harvey knocked into. Harvey's blood still (laughs) splashed on the side of that dumpster, definitely. A little pool underneath it. You know, and just that little bit running, you know, less than a mile. She couldn't have gotten the car that fast. To not only hit the dumpster... Wait a minute, less than a mile? Less than a mile between inside the garage and the dumpster outside. There's less than 12 feet, never mind less than a mile. Right, well, regardless, there's not... She should not have been knocked out by that, necessarily. She didn't have to drive it at pace either. She gently force it through the door and right? then turn the corner and you're done. But of course she gets knocked out and the police find her in the stolen car, which seems really incriminating, even though she's the one who called it in in the first place. And what, she didn't run over her phone when she... Re- right. 
it's just one thing after another, after another, after another. And they do this all the time. It's like poor Asha and mm-hmm. poor Nina when it was their turn to have the very horrible storylines because right. none of these women can catch a break on the street. Nope. You know, they're either the Madonna or the whore, and they just keep cycling it over and over and over again. Either Abby is saving everybody, or she's the worst thing that's ever happened to the street, and everybody hates her. I just, I just don't appreciate what it says about the potential for recovery for no for drug addicts. No, absolutely not. Yeah, that she's she she never seems to be any more than one bad day, right? One bad day away from from scoring drugs again, or right. And I know the the whole addiction cycle, but people do get better. Yeah. People do conquer it. Well, they don't conquer it. They live with it. Mm. But they're able to successfully live with it and have other coping mechanisms because that's what meetings are about. That's why you have a sponsor. That's what... uh, It's just... There's so much wrong with this storyline and the fact that I'm still mad from the other storylines where women are treated so horribly. Mm -hmm. And, and are still ongoing. It's just one thing after another. And I'm just, I'm so exhausted by it. Yeah, and I'm kind of not, I'm not excited about where this is mess. going to go because it's... It's, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Absolutely. And then I think that absolutely starts next week. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know it's going to be worse. Anyway, we've got a lot to get through. So that was the week that was Coronation Street. What was your uh, moment of the week, Helen? Maybe, you know what? Maybe about chess or maybe not. See? I was thinking that it was going to be Sam versus Brian. But honestly, I kind of think maybe it has something to do with Kelly and Gary and Maria. Because they they are the one ray of sunshine. Nick kind of ruined the chess. Nick so, ruined the chess. I did like uh, Nick ruins Sam everything. and Leanne having a little conversation to pull mm-hmm. the wool over Nick's eyes. I like right. that bit. But, you know, I like Maria, Gary working out. Yes. Kelly. Yeah, that that made me laugh. That was the one thing on the street this week that made me laugh. You know, and Le- uh, or Lenny. I mean, and obviously, right? When, and there's that too, which also kind of made me laugh. But the fact that, um, uh, I was about ready to call him Chris Noth, and I know that's not his name. Mikey North. Mikey North. Yeah, North Noth. But as you pointed out, he had to practice that routine. He yeah. had to get really good at it. That was. He wasn't just flailing about randomly, no. or at least I don't think he was. No, Maybe if he was, that then was he sold well, it well choreographed. Well, it, he looked for like for the a, space. He looked like a, a a man not used to doing aerobics, trying to do aerobics. But he was doing it really well. Like he was getting the kicks in and everything <laughs> in that small space, up. and he wasn't hitting anything or anything. Not that, that that had to be really well practiced. He I put guess. a lot of effort into that. That's, that's our moment of the week. <laughs> In a week where Abby gives birth unexpectedly, our moment of the week is Gary doing aerobics. We were never going to give it to Abby no, this week. not this week. That's our moment of the week. Your bonus moment of the week. Daisy handing out those lids to Beth, who says she's going to use it to keep fizz out of her drink. Maybe. I mean, I- Because it was such a poor showing of look see we do take this seriously we're just gonna throw this in here <laughs> uh, we've been doing this for two hours so I, it's fine that's our for a moment of the week for me it was probably the whole all at abbey <laughs> i thought that whole thing's so dull anyway how do you get stains out of gray jeans write in to let us know at the talk of the street at gmail.com it doesn't stain really it's just mm. basically water i'll tell you what 
they're getting washed. <laughs> and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can check me and Helen a coffee by heading to kofi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. Thank you. And we will be back next week with more. Ah, talk of the street. The talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.